Welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California Imperial. It's a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy, right here, right now, I get to speak to a man who I've known for so many years, but I've actually never really had like a full-on conversation about his time in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, he's one of the head honchos for New Horizons Pro Wrestling here in my state of Western Australia. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one, this is the only Australian Gothic Heritor. How are you, sir? Old, grumpy, but quite happy. Quite very much looking forward to, well, having a chat and just having a chill. Excellent, bro. I'm, I'm excited too. And, uh, you know, a lot of people out there might not realise being an Australian Gothic is quite the thing to be because, you know, uh, you've got our blistering hot sun, uh, wearing dark clothing. Heritor, would this be the first time you've ever been given a He's Hardcore champ? Thinking about it, quite possibly yes, because most of the time when I'm getting absolutely mutilated, people are cheering it because they hate me, which is nice. <laughs> which I prefer. Yeah, I know all about that too, bro. But uh, look, uh, Heritor, great to have you on the show. I haven't had anyone from the local scene in quite some time. So um, this is kind of, it's become a fresh thing for me. I'm excited to uh, get kind of the word out there on, on, on the story of, of, of Western Australian pro wrestling. And you're a big part of it. So one of my first questions, as usual, that I ask everyone on the show is, how did you become a wrestling fan? Interestingly enough, it was a combination of circumstances. Uh, my first girlfriend absolutely love wrestling and my brother was an absolute geek over wrestling he loved it religiously he would tape it on the good old vhs dating myself there and all the lads would get together at the end of the week and sit down watch smackdown and raw back to back eat some kfc play some dnd get drunk and stoned and just <laughs> talk into the wee hours in the morning right it's kind of a I basically had no choice but to enjoy what was going on at the time. And yeah, I was never really an athletic kid, but I fell in love with the characters and I fell in love with just the whole thing as a, as a spectacle, as a package, basically. Right. And uh, what year or time frame would have this been in? Is this like the early 2000s or? This would definitely be the early 2000s. Uh, we're basically looking at around the Edge Lita era. Right. So Edge Lita, Big Daddy V, all that stuff. <laughs> Very cool. And so, okay, so you kind of, uh, you become a fan uh, just because, you know, your surroundings and, and, and all that. So that's cool. It happened to a lot of us back then, you know. I didn't know much about wrestling and all of my friends were into it. And the next thing I knew, I, I, I was more obsessed with it than they were. Uh, so uh, I guess uh, that has to lead you down this path where 
Uh, it leads you to at some stage wanting to get training uh, and, and get involved in, in the local wrestling scene. Uh, so I'm interested in hearing about this because I, I don't really know what it was like at that stage because I tried to get into the training a little bit later on down the line. Mm. Um, so during this time period, you know, how did you go about it? Okay, so story time, as uh, Cade Morgan is fond of saying, I never wanted to be a wrestler. I was maybe 50 kilos soaking wet, not a single athletic bone in my body. I'd never played any sports apart from occasionally being the ball. So I had, I was under no illusions that I was going to be able to do this, but a few mates of mine were, and they, they managed to get into the local wrestling scene. One of them was basically the door bitch of the company that thankfully is no longer running. Um, and through him, a couple of our other mates got in, one became a manager, good old Ebenezer Clout, uh, Ebenezer J. Klaus, um, one of our mates got in, decided that he wanted to become a wrestler. Uh, most people won't know him, but big old bloke named Widowmaker Mange. And me being the teeny tiny, smart mouth little asshole, I wanted to be a manager. Just, I figured, help my mates out, get a little bit of attention to myself. You know, always a fun thing. And uh, not get violently murdered in the process. That didn't pan out. So I went down to the school and, yeah, I was told, well, if you want to be a manager, you need to learn how to bump, you need to learn how to do all these different things. And once that happened, it was, yeah, no going back. It was, I wasn't going to be a manager. I wasn't going to be anything else. I was going to be basically delusions of grandeur um came from command and conquer peace through power cult leader captain insano captain kirk jeremy irons from dungeons and dragons levels of scenery chewing and it just grew from there right talk about a real nerd out situation oh, yeah. there I, i'm down with that i dig it and i think a lot of fans would dig that kind of thing too because most of us like the same things um <laughs> You know, being a wrestling fan, we all like the nerdy things. Um, I mean, wrestling fans are just wrestling nerds, just like hmm. people who play fantasy football. They're football nerds. Everyone is a nerd or a geek in some form or fashion. They have these interests that they absolutely explode their brains and they just turn into these fact-seeking rodents that just hunt down every single minuscule thing about it and they can't get enough. It's just when it's things like books or computers that it's looked down and sneered upon. It's one of those weird things about society. Right. Well, speaking of rodents, uh, I know you were wrestling for a certain company uh, in your early days. Uh, <laughs> could you tell me about your first match that you had, like your first actual match in front of a crowd? Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to scrap the rumble because while the, while the rumble slash battle royale slash grand old clusterfuck is what it is, it's funny that there wasn't really anything funny about the about it itself it was just it was what it was um my first ever actual match was against good old mate jared slap now it's not the match that most people actually know as my first match most people think my first match was under at the time it was a balaclava against a bloke called uh paragon james uh, jake paragon yeah my actual first match was me one of my mates, Marty, and his brother, Rob, as rookie, rookie two, and rookie three in a handicap match. There's a few photos floating around about this, and 
Yeah, I I look like I'm about three. I have the uh, body definition of someone that's about three, and I get violently murdered like I'm about three. Bashi <laughs> chops, big boots, and just everything. Very painful, but very fun. Of course, I've wrestled Slate, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, very cool. We rookie one, two, or three? Do you remember? I was the mouthpiece, so I'm just going to go out and say I was rookie one. I would hope so. In fact, I can almost... Oh, yes, I was the original rookie in a battle royale. Then I was rookie, rookie two, and rookie three. And yeah, I was also fake TNT and a whole host of <laughs> other characters throughout the years. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Uh, I, I, during my research, I, I want to ask you this. What was the deal with you being called Meat? early in your wrestling career okay so another story time and this is this one is it doesn't exactly paint me in the best light but it's also hilarious so i'm, I'm gonna run with it uh, we were training one day and one of the guy's girlfriends came down started watching and she brought a couple of friends and the instant that these girls walked in training changed from everyone fucking around everyone just being absolute idiots because that's all that training was back then at this place to oh i'm going to do my backflips i'm going to do all my somersaults i'm going to hit people hard i'm going to do all these things i'm going to show all these girls oh look at me i'm a big tough man hey ladies you want some of this <laughs> and uh i can't even remember who was running training at the time but there was a because i was, I was, I was basically the sacrificial pawn as I, as I always am uh, there was a bit of a wink and a nod over to me to a uh, hey get rid of them I had no power. I had I had no way of turning around to these elect girls and saying, hey, can you please leave? So the only way I could get rid of them was to be obnoxiously myself, which was just the nicest, most charming person I ever could. And again, I resemble nothing more than a three kilo soaking wet drowned rodent at this point in time. I didn't even have a goatee. So I had the baby face to end all baby faces. I had thin long black hair that looked like it had just been regurgitated from a cat's hairball and yeah no muscle no definition no nothing so it was really just like a vaguely hairy sentient slug crawled up to you and just went how you doing you having a good time just chilling <laughs> yeah just not, not being not being you know overtly sexual or anything but just friendly yeah and uh yeah that 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 very much uh, quickly turned one of the girls from going, oh, this is fun to, hey, uh, can, we, can, we, can we go, please? Can we leave? Uh, yeah, we're we're going to go now. And that was the end of it. Then uh, we found out that the girl was going to be coming to the next show. So shenanigans. It was decided that I was going to be facing one of the guys there, as I mentioned before, Jake Paragon, in my, technically my proper debut. And... We wanted to play around because we were all horrible dumpster fire human beings back then. So we decided that if I came through the curtain and she saw me and she knew it was me, there's not much of an opportunity for shenanigans there. However, we had a box full of random props. In said box was a balaclava. Balaclava over my face. No one can know who I am. Rummaged through my clothes at home, pulled out old Hawaiian shirts, pair of black work pants, which made my ass look fucking fantastic, might I say. 
<laughs> I, I have always had a booty. I will always have a booty. I had a booty before I got into wrestling. So it's just one of those things that just everything lined up. And we felt that, okay, we, we need to, we're really going to go the full hog here. So found an entrance music, uh, Regurgitators the Game, which, awesome song. Regurgitator, of course, being an Australian band. So, you know, the band in the bubble for those of us that were alive back then, which you were, maybe yeah. a few other people were, and they're probably looking at us going, Grandpa, what the fuck are you talking about? Time to take your meds. <laughs> but yeah, Regurgitators the Game, awesome band. And the start of the music sounds like really cheesy porno music. So it was decided, right, we'll put all these things together, get a feather boa, come out, do a bit of the older, uh, you know, Rocky Horror, Frankenfurter, Sweet Transvestite, full on with a feather boa, gave her a little bit of a lap dance. She really liked it. Get in the ring, get absolutely mutilated. And about halfway through the match, she was told, hey, she liked that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, who is he? You remember that? That guy from the last time we came here? <laughs> no. By the time the match was finished, she was gone. <laughs> I can't even remember if she actually stayed, like if her friends stayed there or they left with her, but it was just a case of one, okay, we've just driven someone off who was annoying, essentially, because again, we were immature. Well, I was a young adult, but mentally at that time, maybe mid to late teenage. Yeah. And also, the crowd seemed to really get behind this balaclava, Hawaiian shirt weirdo. So instead of being once-off, it was, right, you're this character from now on. This is what you're doing. And through, through no fault of my own, I got over. It <laughs> was really disturbing, but people, people like that kind of shit. Fair enough. Right, fair enough. Okay, well, you know, it's good to see that uh, at least one version of somebody called Meat got over. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no offense to Sean Stasiak, uh, but uh, I'm pretty it, sure I basically weighed as much as one of his legs. <laughs> uh, it appears that like you didn't wrestle uh, too long in uh, this company, um, uh, all assholes wrestling in. Uh, around 2008 era uh before wrestling on a show called uh SHWA Exodus which I'm assuming Exodus means something for a specific reason um but I don't remember or know the story what was the situation there so some, some of this stuff has been hidden slash misconstrued slash kind of lost to time over the years purely because some of the guys that were around then just no longer in wrestling anymore but realistically, it's, a, it's an interesting story. And it's one that deserves to be told. Uh, we were back on this old company where we're going to be having a, having a meeting at one point in time. And one of the blokes that was kind of up, up there, one of the head honchos, he was quite happy. He was having uh, music played to the computers. He was, he was chilling. He was having a good time. Um, I was told, yeah, this meeting's going to happen. We need to get the music turned off by one of the other top guys. Turn the music off didn't go down too well by this guy. I ended up having a chair thrown at me, missed me, because among other things, he had very bad aim. Um, that was that was kind of the catalyst as to why I was going to be leaving. But around that time, uh, Paragon had put together some money, bought a professional wrestling ring, and there, there was a whole group of guys who were just really just disaffected by the way this place was run, um, 
various scandals like some of the guys that are no longer there that are no longer in wrestling quite thankfully you know rampant drug use and all sorts of other bits and bobs like i'm not even talking about weed either i'm talking about hardcore stuff which not a good thing mm-hmm. um, you know drunken trainings just yeah. Yeah, bad stuff altogether and it ended up happening that essentially there was a little coalition of a uh, like-minded people got together one day at a house and there was a discussion about like look we're getting the fuck out of dodge because this place is toxic it is a shithole and unless you are best buds with the owner in which case you have carte blanche you can just do whatever the fuck you want you are going to be treated like shit you are a disposer goon and you will never get anything anywhere to be fair, that was exactly what was happening. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was an absolute shit show of a place. So, yeah, it basically became exactly as it was, an exodus. So it was a group of people leaving, joining up with some others that had been in backyard wrestling at the time and wanted to get back in the game. You know, just a whole group of people with varying motivations, but their overwhelming thing was they wanted to wrestle and they wanted to have fun and they wanted to put on shows. Yeah, uh, essentially, yeah, it was exactly that. It was an exodus. It didn't go down too well at the old place. Uh, there was many, 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 many years of online trolling and harassment and hassling and all sorts of just ridiculous, stupid shit, including a gay porn website set up with all the schwa wrestlers and all their faces. Like, I'm not even mad that there was a gay porn website set up about that. It's just the photoshops that they did was so horrendously bad. That was more offensive. That was the worst thing to me. It was just like a a child could do better cutting someone's face out and pasting it on another image. It's like, look, if if you're going to create these kind of things, just at least do it well. So it was, it was a very fun time, but it was also one of the best things that happened. To be honest, because yeah, it got a lot of us away from some very bad things that were happening there and some very bad things that continued into the future and yeah schwa first show um definitely not the greatest poster in the world (laughs) which was which which was me um (laughs) yeah my poster skills have improved considerably over the years definitely wasn't the best show in the world but all in all it was a fun show and that that was felt like it was going to be promising going forward, which which is really all you can ask for sometimes. Absolutely. Well, that's uh, it's interesting to hear this, that, 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 that story because I, I, I always wondered, I'm sure someone told me before, but I just can't really remember. Um, but that's kind of how the Southern Hemisphere Wrestling Alliance is born. Um, so tell me a little bit about like the, I guess those early days of the new wrestling company so now there's three in perth at this point um what was what was the what you know what were the early days of of, of schwa like now that it's hard to say because i mean well, let's let's be honest i've landed on my head a lot over the years and my, my brain is essentially a haunted catacomb of knowledge and random monsters so it's not not everything is organized or even accessible anymore the early days it was optimistic it was hopeful it was hard work of course especially because again you know this is a wrestling company that has no 
it has no real home. It has no real ground. It doesn't have a like a pre-existing fan base or anything like that. Everything that we were doing was from bare bones. It was from building it from the very ground up. You know, whether it was obviously the ring, the entranceway, the graphics, the promotion, it's trying to get crowds, trying to do anything. Like we, were, we were having to learn all of that from scratch. And a lot of mistakes, a lot of, lot of trials and tribulations. And I, mean, I, I wasn't management or anything like that in Schwa. So there's obviously a lot of things there that I wasn't privy to, I wasn't aware of. But the bloke at the time, Paragon, he was relatively open about most things. A lot of things I didn't agree with, but it was still an improvement in that at least he was open about situations. So while I had some issues later on down the track, that was, that was one thing that I was always quite happy with, that he never, he never lied to my face. He never bullshitted me, he never anything like that. And, but yeah, it was, it was definitely hard going. Cause I mean, again, this is, this was back in, you know, late 2008, early 2009, the internet's still in its absolute infancy. We're still talking about MySpace and live journal here. And Facebook <laughs> was just becoming a thing. The poke function still existed. You didn't have private messages. You would post on other people's walls. And if you wanted to get their attention, you'd poke them. Which, I mean, you do the same thing today, but I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Otherwise, my wife will stab me. Um, in, in the most loving way, of course. But... <laughs> It, it was very much, very much the dark age, like the old days of trying to build something from nothing, and arguably succeeded. Like it took a long time, but it definitely got there in the end. So, right? Yeah, that's cool. It's, it's it's interesting, like you know, learning about a, a local wrestling company trying to come up uh, during a time where. Uh, the end all and be all is not social media and the internet. You gotta, you gotta hit the pavement. You gotta do flyer runs in the area, and yeah. all that stuff. So yeah, that that is interesting. But there, there is a point in time, of course, where because uh, I got to get to some NHPW talk here very soon, uh, because that's what most of the rest of this conversation is going to be about. Um, yeah. You're with Schwab for a period of time. Um, I again don't know the story about how NHPW is formed, how this all comes about. Could you give me a little bit of a history lesson of, of how this came about and, and how you ended up moving over to, to New Horizons Pro Wrestling? So NH was, NH was interesting. So New Horizons Pro Wrestling, obviously being the brainchild and the company of Mana the Polynesian Warrior, which is a name a lot of people know about. And some people love him, some people hate him, but I don't think there's anyone out there that can dispute that he has been a force and he has been recognizable throughout his entire career and he's, he's done a lot of things for professional wrestling both in ring and then outside of ring once he's retired um but at the time all i knew of him was that he had come into the old company and he had violently beaten up this one guy who at the time was my friend well i thought he was my friend of course he was just using me as many people do but at the time, he showed every indication of actually being my friend. I wasn't there at the show. I was sick. So I saw no footage. I heard nothing. All that I knew was that at one point in time, this guy ended up getting powerbombed into a wall, which isn't as bad as it sounds for people that have seen a lot of the fun stuff from wrestling history. This is the same wall that uh, Carlo Cannon later on did a, or tried to do a backflip 
like the wall run backflip over someone and he actually put his foot through the wall. So if uh, anyone out there that's listening, to this has ever seen that clip from Carlo way, way, way back in the day. It's the same kind of wall. You know, we're not talking about powerbombing someone into a brick wall or concrete or anything like that. It's just plasterboard. Right. Not exactly the best thing, but still scary as hell. And the second show I show, I was told I'm going to be facing this guy again. 50 kilos, soaking wet at the time from the old company. I didn't know any moves. I'd never been taught any moves. I was a bumping dummy, nothing more. So I am pissing and shitting myself. I am just evacuating everything I possibly can from every single orifice in my body, including the ear holes, in an attempt to try and collapse myself into a black hole and just escape this fate. Wasn't me. On the day, I meet him and... He is even bigger than what I'd seen on the few photos. I was petrified. I was horrified. I was frightened to fuck of this guy because he's a legitimate monster, legitimate big man. I mean, this is a guy that went toe-to-toe with Abyss how many times? Stood his ground. Intense, intense individual, especially when he's in the ring. My first interaction with him was actually chewing out the owner of the company. So I don't know whether that set me off on the right foot or the wrong foot, but it was a foot nonetheless. Because he was, he was chatting to the owner and I came up, I was a bit pissed off because the owner had decided like the day before on the day, he was going to change his music. I was pissed off at that because you just don't do that. I don't care who you are. Don't change your music at the last minute and expect the poor tech gremlin to try and fix things for you. It's a pain in the ass. Just, just don't people. Just be kind to your tech gremlins. Keep us in the basement, slide a slice of pizza under the door, and we will love you forevermore. Just be kind to us, please. So I, I, I said hello to Mana, I introduced myself, and then I had a little bit of a polite go at the owner. He was rather pissed off at that because who the hell am I to you know, chew him out in front of this big important guest? And uh, yeah, we got backstage, Mana and I were having a chat, and as it turns out, uh, there's, there's some various things which I'm, I'm, I'm keeping to myself because they, they expose the all-too-human side of him, which, I mean, I'm going to say this. Mana is, he's just a big, cuddly, cuddly, cuddly teddy bear. He's just the sweetest person in the world. He's a grumpy old fuck, but he's the sweetest person in the world. So kind of like me, except without the sweetness. <laughs> But we, uh, myself and my wife, we fell in love with him basically then and there. So he started taking some trainings and I really liked his training. They were, they were very, very useful for me. I, the interesting thing about wrestling training is you can have 50 different ways of teaching someone a single thing, like a roll or a bump or a move or just anything you can consider. There is a multitude of ways of teaching people and Sometimes you have to run through all 50 of them to find the one that actually clicks in their brain. When Mana was training, more often than not, whatever he would describe, the first or second way he would, he would describe it, I would click straight away. Most other trainers, it would take me ages because I just, there was, there was a mindset there that I instantly recognized, I instantly connected with. And so it was just, it was so much easier for me to actually learn from him than it was from anyone else. And that's not a shot on other people. It's just people have different ways of thinking, different ways of explaining things. Like for example, myself, I am extremely long winded and you basically have to hit me with a baseball bat to get me to shut up most times uh, as this run on sentence is 
obviously proving. <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, essentially once he started taking trainings, my brain just exploded and it just went, right, I need to learn from this guy because he is teaching me and I'm actually absorbing this information and I'm not forgetting it. Yeah. Because I was for, for many, 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 many years, I have just been the absolute worst scatterbrained airhead you could ever imagine. You could come up to me and you could tell me things 50 times, 100 times, 200 times. And I still see you the next day and I go, hey, by the way, uh, what were we talking about the other day? I know we were talking about <laughs> something. And that's if you even remember we were talking. Just, yeah, not great brain stuff. And yeah, Mana, his, his training is very much unlike, like it's, I mean, it's wild Simone training. You know, mm -hmm. There's, there's, you know, there, there's no mistaking. It's, you know, the Wild Simone Training Center, Samu, Arthur, all those lads, SLG, straight into Mana's brain. And from him, he comes to us. And it was very old school. It was very punishing. I remember the first time I ever had to do a thousand squats, I was not happy the next day. <laughs> I was in a lot of pain. But it's also put me in a very good stead to actually still be doing what I do, even with the amount of mistreatment I've done to my body. I can still do so many things that after all the things I've done wrong over the years, I probably shouldn't be walking, let alone wrestling. But the work that he put me and others through at that time has made it so that essentially yeah, I've had that base. I'm not strong, I'm not fit, I'm not athletic by any means, but I'm a tough motherfucker now, thanks to him, which is very useful. <laughs> I can imagine. Hmm. Um, so, like, uh, some shows start taking place, uh, and in my research, I did notice that there was a little bit of collaborating going on with the Southern Hemisphere Wrestling Alliance, but uh, could you tell me a little bit about how, uh, you know, this kind of morphed into being its own wrestling outfit? Um. See, the first few shows were very much in collaboration with Schwa. It was, the NH was really designed from the get-go. It was designed to be a, essentially a super show company. So you would see people from every company there. Now, that right. was always the goal. That was always by design because we wanted to create a place where, you know, the local guys who at the time, you know, I mean, it's still a problem to persist to this day, even with the way that the internet works, Local guys really do not get the eyes on them that they should. You know, we're not we're not over east. Perth is, I mean, hell, you're a muser. You know what Perth is like for tours, for attention, for yeah. anything like that. It's just it's non-existent. Yeah. And hell, the, the fact that Weird Al's coming here next year blew my brain because I'm just looking at this, going, "Wait, you mean someone's actually remembered we exist? That's <laughs> that's awesome." So. WA wrestling as a whole, even though the boys were, you know, they were busting their ass from various different companies. A good proportion of people were absolutely hammering at home and knocking it out in the park. They still weren't getting the recognition that if, if these companies were in the US or if they were in a place which people actually cared about, so many eyes would be on them, but they just weren't. And that was, that was one of the things at the high end in HPW was, bring these international wrestlers down, bring these interstate wrestlers over, get more eyes on wrestlers here, get more opportunities for them and get connections and just help everyone and everything. But 
arguably uh, again, you you can't make an omelet without sacrificing a goat or two to the Dark Lord Corn, but there was more successes than failures around that time. There were definitely people that started to get more opportunities because of this, started to actually get more recognition because of what we were doing. Um, now, uh, around this time, essentially shenanigans, except not in the best way. I've heard all sorts of different stories as to things that happened around this time. This was during one of the periods where I, I, I was a sickly child. I'm, I'm, I'm not really one. I've never been a health nut and my body has returned that in spades. There's been periods of time where I have just been completely out of the loop of anything and everything because of various health conditions that I've had going on. And this is, this is one of those times where I essentially just dropped out of everything. I was, I was still present. I was still around people. Like I hadn't you know, completely disappeared off the face of the earth. But as to the actual truth and exactly what happened around this time, I can't say for sure. All I know that there was miscommunications between the people that were running NH, the people that were running Schwa, and it ended up becoming a case of, right, we're going to be going our own way. And I mean, I, I, I was torn because I, you know, Mana, he very quickly became my brother from another mother kind of situation. You know, he, he wasn't blood, but he was blood. He, I mean, it's like, I've got a brother, which, so it's not like I don't have one, but Mana became the one that I don't want to say a father figure because one, he'll probably punch me for saying that because it's <laughs> corny, but he kind of was purely because I, I, I looked up to him and I was like, you couldn't six foot fucking four, the giant bastard. But it was also the way that he went about things and just every chance he got was always a, okay, I'm going to give you more info about this. I'm going to help you out with this. I'm going to, you know, fill your head with this. I'm going to fill your head with that. I'm going, to, every chance he got was always just helping, learning, teaching any single time he could. Even when he ha was hurting himself, the number one thing on his head was, right, how can I help you? How can I give you a leg up? How can I boost your life? How can I boost your career? How can I help you out with the problem you're having? But on the other hand, I had, you know, I had guys like Slate who, and I don't, I don't want to say he played second fiddle to Mana, but there's a very small group of guys who, especially now in my later years, are my ride or die. They, they are the ones who have been around me from day dot or as near as can be, can be lined up. And they're the ones that have never, basically the ones that have never fucked me over, despite the fact they've had many opportunities to do so. You know, Slate, Draker, um, Hardway, Mana, there's a very, very small circle of those people. And like, definitely by the end of it, um, when it came down to NH or Schwa, it, it wasn't NH or Schwa, it was, it was Mana or Slate. And at the time, the only 
thing that really swayed was there was some people at Schwab that I nowhere near as bad as the ones that were at AA Dub, mm-hmm. but there were still people that I didn't want to be around anymore. So that that ended up kind of sealing the deal. Like it, most people would probably look at it and go, "Oh, Heritor just thought that you know he could get more out of mana." One, who the fuck am I? I'm 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 not someone that was ever going to go international. I'm not someone that's ever going to be like a superstar or a big name or anything like that. And that's never really been my goal. It was purely and simply, I have two friends. One of them could use me more than the other. And that's the one that I went with. And I like to think the way that things panned out, I like to think that was the right decision. There's, there's has been a few times where, well, more than a few times, to be honest, <laughs> it's been a lot of times where my, me existing in NHPW has helped out a hell of a lot. Uh, right. not, not tooting my own horn, not saying I'm some grand savior or any kind of bullshit like that, because if, if I wasn't here, someone else would have done the stuff that I did, but I was here and I did the stuff. Just how it was. And so it, it wasn't a, oh, an HPW and Schwa are now at war or any shit like that. There, were, there was doubt, undoubtedly a few people that felt like that. But I mean, fuck, I'm, I'm lazy at the best of times. You know, if, if you have a problem and you want, want it solved, ask the fat lazy kid how to do it because he'll find the easiest way to do it with the minimum of effort. And actually hating people is just too much fucking effort. It really is. So it, was, it wasn't a war. It wasn't anything like that. There was still Schwa guys that would wrestle on our shows. Like I think at the time for a, another year or two, I think we were still using the Schwa ring, in fact. There was still cooperation of sorts but it was just okay yeah we're, we're going to go our own way so to speak it was it was very much a lot more amicable than what happened with aaw and schwa right i'm thankful for no i think uh now that you kind of explain the situation you know i think uh it makes sense that you went the way that you did because who wouldn't want to feel more of use you know mm-hmm. if you could be of use then there's also uh, opportunity to learn more about different facets of the the business if you're being uh, relied upon as a, as a big help so i mean you know i think that the proof is in the pudding you're still there now and you're still you know one of the you know uh, the head honchos of the company uh, along with your uh father figure mama um, <laughs> oh, yeah. he got he's gonna step for that <laughs> um 2009 2010 2011 uh you're the nhpw light heavyweight champion it's renamed the hi-fi title then renamed the hybrid title uh most people who are highly involved in in the behind the scenes of a wrestling company would usually keep themselves booked strong for years but it seemed like since those days you've always taken a bit of a backseat to the rest of the talent in nhpw that you would find I guess, build the company around. Would you agree with that, that you've never been one to to put yourself in the top spot when you probably could have been able to do that? Not easily. I, I to, to, to go back to what I was saying, uh, one, of the, one of the many things is, at the end of the day, I am, I am the Australian Gothic character. You know, I, I am a weird mismatch of essentially 
well, that's a horrible thing. I can't even remember the name of the team now, but Sinister Minister, Mikey Whipwreck, and Tajiri. Uh, Unholy, no, it wasn't the Unholy. Uh, yeah, is it the Unholy Alliance? That's going to bug me now. I'm going to have to double check that out. We're, we're going to go with the Unholy Alliance, but essentially, if you glued all three of those it's together. Too, so keep going. Yeah, like you, you glue Mikey Whipwreck's you know, sheer bumping ability and just ragdoll physics. You glue Sinister Minister, particularly the half yeah, we were right. promo. Yeah, we were right. Yeah, Excellent. <laughs> the, the half cut promo where he talks about accidentally almost blowing half his finger off with the flash paper. That is still one of my one of the one of the best shoot interviews that I've ever seen. And Tajiri because he kicks and chops like an absolute motherfucker, and I do too. You know, you glue those three together. That's that's basically me. Right. I don't to actually toot my own horn here, which I hate doing. I don't... I mean, as, as you just highlighted, I don't want to be in that position. I don't, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I, I want to be the guy that helps everyone else get to that spotlight. Yeah. But I also don't need the spotlight. I've, I've, I, am, I, am, I am purely and simply a scenery-chewing gremlin that can just walk out there after three years of no one seeing me or anything and within 30 seconds, I'm over. I'm going to be loved or hated. Whatever my goal is, whatever, whatever I am aiming on doing, as soon as I walk through that curtain, that is what's going to happen. So I don't, I, I don't need to win and beat everyone. I, I don't need to be ranked, so to speak, to be... I'm, I'm going to use the word viable. Like... It's probably not the right word, but it's close enough. I, I don't need constant wins to be viable as a professional wrestler. Because whether or not I'm, you know, I'm on a losing streak that's you know, stretched for five years or I have beaten every single person that's ever stepped, it, it doesn't matter because I'm still going to be over. So I would rather give those wins. Uh, I'd rather make sure... <sighs> I'd rather make sure that other people get those wins because, yeah, I honestly, I don't need them. And I don't, I never want to be seen as that guy because, I mean, again, we've, we've been around wrestling for a while. How many people are like that? Oh, I'm running the company, therefore I'm going to be in every storyline. I'm going to be in every top match. I'm going to be facing this big guy or that big guy. I'm going to be beating all of them too. And if you act up, then, oh, buddy, you're going to be having trouble because I'm going to beat you as well. And <laughs> all that kind of... Fuck that shit, basically. Yeah. There's been occasions where I've actually fought against winning matches because I just... I don't need it. Like, I know people... There are people, especially people that I have uh, retired, left, so on and so forth. There, there are people that must think that I have an ego, but it's like the, the only thing I really have an ego about is the knowledge that I possess and some of my design skills. Like there, there are things that I will sit there and argue when to I'm blue in the face that I am damn good at these things. That's about the only thing I have an ego about. The rest of it, I could give two tugs of a dead dog's cock to what people think about me or whether they think I'm an amazing wrestler or you know, I, I should be you know, top tier or ranked or anything like that. It just doesn't matter to me. I just, I want to have fun. I want to entertain people and I want to help boost 
everyone up around me. That's all I really ever want to do. I think that's cool, bro. I think that's very cool. You know, it happens very often that you know, the book is the champion and uh, he has his own stable and uh, he's in the main storyline and everyone else is doing nothing. Um, okay. Let's talk about some like, you know, working behind the scenes kind of stuff here. And look, you don't have to name names for any of these questions here, but, you know, maybe just give some examples of stories dealing but the difficulties of dealing with delusional talent, because I know in wrestling, a lot of people come into it and they, you know, they're a little delusional. They seem to, you know, think it's a little bit real sometimes and they think they know it all. They think they know how it all works, but not everybody has a creative mind and they think that their idea is the best idea and, and they need their idea to happen now and, and you can't possibly build up to that idea taking place. No, I want what I want and I want it now. Things of that nature. Do you have any stories of dealing with delusional talent like that? Oh, I mean... As, as much as I love the wrestling business and I love the wrestlers, even though they, they can sometimes shoot me to tears, working with wrestlers as a whole is either like herding kittens, as in fucking impossible, or it's like trying to run a high school full of um, prepubescent emotions and drama and fucking days of our lives level bullshit. With that being said though, like there's 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 people, I know there's people, and I know there's been situations where people have basically put their foot down and said, no, it's you know, it's my way or the highway. I want this, I want that, and I want it now. You know, I'm full violet Beauregard. Beauregard? Pretty sure it's Beauregard. I think it is. This, this, this is one of the times where not just yeah, try, trying to actually dig through the mud pile that is my brain <laughs> can be tricky. Like it's about the only time that one, one that I can think of, there was, there was a guy here who wanted to reinvent himself, which fair enough. I've, I've, I've been in the situation and I know many other people have, you know, occasionally you want to, you want to do a full, a clean break, a full change. And you want people to completely understand, okay, this is no longer, you know, Steve, the solo man. This is now Buzz Lightyear number 72. And there's a clean break between the two. So they requested, they actually didn't want to get booked on shows for a while. Fair enough ask you shall receive don't get booked on shows for a while and they start complaining they're not getting booked on shows and we're sitting there and we're going you asked for this and then you were going to let us know when you're ready and you haven't let us know that you were ready are you, are you ready no well then why are you complaining <laughs> it's you you are a cat that has plonked itself in front of its food bowl and i'm going to use cat analogies i have eight cats so my, my life basically revolves around wrestling and cats and if i can oh. get cats into wrestling i would be complete um 
I'm surprised it took this long for a cat reference to happen. Honestly, I'm surprised that the one of them hasn't hopped up and decided to gaze into the camera with a great eye of Sauron yet. But they, they, some, some people, and it's not just wrestling either. You know, some some people are just cats that have plonked themselves in front of a food bowl, and they have pushed their biscuits so that there is this minuscule empty space right in the middle. The bowl itself is overflowing with biscuits. There are biscuits galore. This is like biscuits from heaven type situation but because they can see that tiniest speck in the middle of the food bowl they can see the bottom of the bowl they are howling like they are being tortured on an iron maiden that has been specifically adapted to fit a teeny tiny kitten and if you walk up and you push the biscuits so they all collapse back down and it's all level and they can see they've got a perfectly full bowl they will frantically dig until that space is empty again and then start screaming at you once more and you wonder, is it attention? Is it like, the wife just started watching Lucifer again. So the classic line, what do you truly desire? <laughs> that's, that's really what springs to mind is what do you actually want? Because if you actually wanted what you are claiming to complain about, we are trying to give that to you. But the answers, are, the answers are basically, they're never forthcoming, or if they are, they're never honest. And it gets to the point where you get really tired of just going into that same circle because it's, I mean, you know, you're Sisyphus, you're pushing that boulder eternally up the hill. And at the end of the day, the boulder says it's satisfied, it's happy. And while you sleep, resting, exhausted from your labours, the bowl has rolled itself merrily back down the bottom of the hill and the dawn breaks and you look down and you see the boulder gazing up at you and says, again, and you just get, you get tired of it. It's, again, I can guarantee, I can guarantee there have been more situations like that, but for the life of me, People, there's, there's been wrestlers that have had problems with X, Y, Z and the way we do some things, the way we do other things, the way some things panned out. For the most part, though, there's, there's, there's no actual specific situations I can actually think of, which we're going to finish this up and my brain's going to go, oh, by the way, what about this, 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 and this, <laughs> guy, this guy, this guy, that girl, this guy, this guy. But right now, it, it is... Uh, yeah, it, it is a sieve trying to catch water, basically. That's okay, bro. We get a little story there of the, the guy who didn't want to be booked but then complained about not getting books. Like, it's, you know, it's, uh, that's funny to me. Uh, yeah. uh, but again, like, again, difficulties behind the scenes. How difficult is it? You know, trying, you're trying to build the company around, like, a particular talent. They're going to be your art of fighting champion. Uh, for a prolonged period of time. But as we know, in, in local professional wrestling in Perth, you know, this isn't something that people can uh, make number one priority in their life because it's not something that you can make a living off. People have jobs, families. Just on a whim, someone might find out that they have an opportunity to make all this money by doing fly-in, fly-out work. So maybe they all of a sudden their career is now either over in wrestling or they're just not going to be there very often anymore. You know, things on a whim from month to month, something can happen, something can change in their life, and all of a sudden they're gone. Things of that nature. 
how difficult is it building the company around a certain talent um, or even just, you know, everyone on your roster and then, you know, how often has it been that all of a sudden this guy's gone, that guy's gone, this girl's gone because of things that have happened in their life? It's very much like, <clears throat> it's very much um, like it's, it's, it's cyclical in nature. It's, you know, wrestling, I mean, wrestling as a whole goes through its boom periods and bust periods. And we're definitely, it's hard, it's hard to tell what period we're in now because COVID just, COVID and the, uh, and the associated restrictions and the constant stresses and everything like that really throws a spanner in proper long-term planning because you never quite know. But like, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's the most recent example of stresses when trying to actually plan because, you know, you, you plan something, you promise something, you want to deliver. That's just how it goes. If you say, I'm going to be here at a certain time at a certain date, you want to be there because you generally want to be a person of your word. And so when you're, you know, you're building to a big match or you're building to a big finale or you're, you're building to something or anything, you know, even, you know, you've announced a show and then, you know, sickness runs right through the roster. It gets to a point where you have to look at things and realistically you have to go, are we doing the right thing? Like, do you put on a show with you know, a quarter of what you have available and a 0% of what you had planned? Um, like uh, the Beaconsfield show that we did um, at the start of November, you know, Beaconsfield Brawl, that was, that, was, that was a fun night. That really was a very fun night for me. But one of the struggles that we had going into it was it was announced. And then just after it was announced, one of the guys had to pull out because they'd actually uh, forgot a very, very, very important date that they had. And they were going to get dragged over the coals dick first if they didn't get this date, this obligation. And that made me <clears throat> just have to change the whole thing up. And it was... It, it, it can be frustrating because you have a vision. You you have an idea of, right, I'm I'm going to serve you a three-course or uh, you know, seven-course meal. So here is, you know, here's what I want to give to you as an appetizer. Here's the drinks while you're waiting. Here is your entrees. And then here's this, here's that. You know, top it off with the dinner and then the dessert. You know, all in nice, even orders. This is exactly what I'm going to serve. These are the ingredients I have. And then you get to the restaurant on the day and you discover that half of the food is spoiled. There's been rats rummaging through one of the packets. Uh, someone has come in here while they're cleaning and the cleaner has come in high off their tits and they've just eaten all of the entree and your drinks fridge is half empty and this has happened and that's happened and you have to do basically MacGyver things to get something that will work and then Hopefully, it bears some resemblance to your initial vision. It is, it's very difficult. And it's, it's not something like, you can't place the blame on the management. You can't place the blame on the wrestlers. You can't place the blame on COVID or society or anything else. It's just, shit happens, you know. Mm. 
I like to call it the fucking because it's really what it is. It's oh, my life was going so well, or my day was going so well, and then boom, the fucking happened. It doesn't have to be anything specific. It's just this is the plan that you had. And now that plan isn't viable. So you're going to have to really think on your toes and try and come up with an alternative plan and then hope that that plan doesn't get hit by the fucking as well. And you never quite know up until the time your plan is actually getting executed, even halfway through the plan getting executed or the show going to, you know, the show running, you could hit intermission and all of a sudden someone's hurt themselves and you now have to redo the second half of the event or you know, you really never know. I mean, there's a classic case, and this is, I mean, this, this isn't a bad way, but it's a funny one, and it's something that Slate actually put out. Uh, Guardians of Wrestling. So both myself and my wife were away from the show for COVID, which was the first main show of NHPW that I've missed since joining NHPW, which was huge for me. And Slate, after his match, he grabbed the mic and he decided to do a bit of a shoot. And he was telling people about the time back in 2009, uh, Southern Impact Night 2 at the... I can't even remember the venue. Um, but yeah, somewhere along the Armadale line. Lovely, lovely, lovely night. It was me versus one of our rookies called Default Dragon. Now, this match had been practiced at training. It was about an eight to ten minute match at training. It was fine. It was all good. On that night, it stretched out to the referee by good old Liam, nonetheless. Um, it stretched out to just over half an hour. And it showed no signs of ending. So Mana was backstage and he looked at Slate and he just said, end it. Go out there and end that match. So Slate came bolting out. And you know, this is this is young, young Jared Slate. So not not quite the absolute behemoth, the absolute terrifying monster that he is now. But a younger Jared Slate, which also means that he was a lot more spry than he is now. So he came out at fucking speed. <laughs> I saw him coming. I was out of it. I got straight out of that ring because I knew what would be happening next. If Jared Slate is coming out there unannounced, he's been sent out here. Uh, homie, don't play that. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of Dodge. My opponent did not see him coming. He was not so lucky. Slate made sure that match was ended. He made sure that match was ended quite emphatically. And uh, yeah, I kind of got chewed out a little bit for um, yes, man managing to stretch out a 10 minute match to over half an hour. <laughs> Which funnily enough, that was actually not the first time that I've done that. <laughs> there was a schwa show where things ran extremely short and myself and Maine, she was uh, Ron, Ron Page at the time. Uh, we were having a best of three series that night and the first match was oh, maybe a minute or so. And it was like, I got counted out straight away. Then there was a disqualification pretty much straight away. Cause you know, I'm, I'm the, I'm the grumpy little midget. I don't actually want to face this big ass guy. And so the third match was an Aussie tow rope match. 
by that match, post intermission, the show had gone about 30 minutes. So first half of the show plus intermission had gone about 30, maybe 40 minutes if we're being, you know, if, if, if we're being nice. So we were told, stretch it out a little. We stretched it out a little. Uh, that, that match went about half an hour plus. It really shouldn't have been half an hour plus. It wasn't the best match in the world by any stretch of the imagination. But boy, howdy, did we stretch out a match to half an hour and it was a lot of me getting beaten around and getting murderalized. So I've... There's, like those are some. I want to say turning chicken shit into chicken salad type situations. The, like the first one was definitely turning chicken salad into chicken shit. The second one was turning chicken shit into chicken salad. Um, but yeah, there's there's been other times where just there's it can sometimes be one of the downsides that there's a lot of memorable moments in wrestling in my career and not even just in my career, just in general things that I've had to deal with and call things on the fly. There was, there was an interesting time where final chapter 2014, we had the strong style thugs. So we had low key and homicide versus the Basso brothers, Grimm and Mimic for the SST legacy tag team championships. This match went to a time limit draw. Now, what was meant to happen was the GM, the commissioner at the time, Percy T. He was meant to come out and announce on stage that, okay, this is a draw. So this is what's going to happen. You guys didn't win the titles. This is going to happen the next day. For some reason, Percy wasn't there. He was there earlier in the night. Something happened. I can't remember what. He wasn't there. I was the announcer at the time. So I took it upon myself to go, right, I'm covering this. I'm fixing this up. I'm, there's a cat. <laughs> I am going to fix this. I could have uh, cut the promo from the stage. I probably should have cut the promo from the stage. I didn't cut the promo from the stage. I got in the ring and I addressed homicide and low key directly. Me, the announcer wearing a suit, addressing the motherfucking strong style thugs face to face and telling them, guess what? Essentially, guess what? Fuck you, buddy. Even though you guys are technically won, you haven't won. So eat a dick. That did not go down well. <laughs> I got beaten like a redheaded stepchild. Which, again, worked out well. Like, I... I had no problems with it. I mean, it's wrestling. You know? Yeah. But it was just one of those situations where, okay, shit's fucked. I'm going to unfuck this shit. And what seems to be a theme is when, when shit needs to be unfucked, I'm throwing myself bodily into there to get violently murdered. It probably says something about me. I'm not quite sure if that's good or what, but it's what it is. Very good, bro. You know, you got to learn to pivot in these situations and uh you know it's it's always a learning process um just like jared slate's boot i like to face challenges face on exactly exactly um so and again uh i want to bring up the fact that you know nhpw used to bring in quite a lot of international talent hmm. I'll, I'll i'll list some names here um uh, or some some big names uh low-key of course homicide colt cabana balls mahoney mm -hmm. uh sammy callahan uh 
uh, Kevin Owens, Adam Cole, Mercedes Martinez, Shayna Baszler, Awesome Kong. I could go on and on and on. Sanjay Dutt, etc. Um, do you have any fond memories of, or stories of booking any of these types of talent? I mean, booking side, I wasn't really involved with any of those type of things, but fond memories of the talent themselves, so many. One, one of the one of the things that a lot of people don't quite understand when we when we bring over international wrestlers, it's because they are fundamentally good people the the wrestlers that we bring over they are brought over because they will not so much that they will provide the best possible international match you know that we're not always going to bring over the absolute top tier the peak or whatever we're going to focus on the people who have good attitudes we're going to focus on the people that can be good examples good role models like for i mean mercedes martinez is the perfect example you know she, she is one of the most lovely human beings to ever walk the face of the earth same with awesome kong um bring them over show people that look this is you know she exemplifies hard work dedication just grindstone just doing everything you can the right way the proper way the old school way to make it in wrestling you know don't 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 stab people in the back for a penny don't screw people over for shits and giggles just work really fucking hard for everyone not just yourself have a good attitude and good things will happen that's that's pretty much been the hallmark of i'd say about 95 percent of the international wrestlers that we've brought down there's there's been a few odd cases where that has either been revealed later on to be false or we've kind of discovered afterwards that, yeah, these people actually weren't great after all and they were just faking being nice people. But for the most part, honestly, that is, that's, that's been one of the big things with these, like, these wrestlers coming down. There's some that I, again, I'm not going to fool myself into thinking, oh, these are my, you know, these are my firm friends. These are my you know, top 10. These, like, they love me like no one else or anything like that because at the end of the day, it's, it's wrestling. You meet a metric fuck ton of people, especially when you're you know, of, of their caliber. But I've had sit downs and talks with so many of these people. Some, you know, sometimes even like, we went out and we did karaoke with Adam Cole and Supremely Great. That was a fucking <laughs> blast. Like, I've done karaoke with Awesome Kong. That's insane. Pretty good singer too. <laughs> um, it's you know sat back had a few drinks with head shrinker samu buddy uh, sammy callahan <sighs> lovely bloke really lovely guy really really intense was shitting my pants when he was coming down because first actual international and then found out lovely guy really chill very cool Balls Mahoney, he decided to take it on himself to put me over in the first ever global comp, like not in a match wise, but we were doing the tournament's uh, introduction of all the competitors and he actually grabbed the mic and just essentially cut a mini shoot promo. It's like, this guy needs to stay the fuck away from me because he's creepy as fuck. He needs to stay in that corner because I am frightened of him. I'm like, thank you. I never expected this, but okay. Balls motherfucking Mahoney doing this. Just all, all, all these these crazy, just 
weird situations that have just made me realize there's a whole laundry list of international wrestlers out there that I've heard a lot of things about and it basically amounts to never meet your heroes kind of thing. Like there are wrestlers people clamor to say, oh, we would love to see this person brought down to Australia. We want to see him in Perth. We want to see NXPW bring them. And we've just looked at them and gone, no, they don't they don't represent the type of attitude that we want to see here. These 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 they may be amazing wrestlers, but if they're fucking dumpster fires of human beings, we don't want them. And that's you know, that that stretches from international to local and the whole gamut in between is that's it's it's one of the things that we've always tried to foster is is that you know you, you can you can teach a monkey to wrestle you, you can teach uh broom as as the infamous quote goes you know broom versus great carly you know you can teach a broom to wrestle but it's very hard to teach someone to actually be a good human being and that's there's there's nowhere near enough of those in wrestling so that's the type of attitude that we try and foster we try and ensure that people see that yes you can legitimately be a good person and still make it in wrestling without screwing others over um, all right yeah oh cool yeah. bro i understand and some great stories there and hmm. um, can we take a quick five minute break because i really need to go pee oh yeah no bro no worries bro i'll pause it there <clears throat> okay radio um so okay Herator, uh excellent stuff um i wanted to kind of uh learn a little bit about like i guess some of the the, the crowning achievements of, of 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 nhpw and and what what moments in history within the company um would you could you pinpoint there being moments where you're like you know that was a really good show that's a crowning achievement you know, this day felt really good. Could you uh, list off anything for me there? That is actually a really, really interesting question. Like there's, there's a lot of shows that, for various different reasons, like there's, there's personal and professional, basically varying different reasons to why certain shows are very... Have, have been seen as yeah, a crowning achievement, a you know, milestone, something something special, something to remember. Um, like professional-wise, we've got shows like uh, the third ever global conflict, you know, first ever women's tournaments in WA. That's you know, before NH started actually focusing on women's wrestling. Women's wrestling was seen as an afterthought. I mean, fuck, one company had two 15-year-old girls bikini jelly wrestling, for fuck's sake. <sighs> That's, you know, all, all that kind of bullshit. Yeah. And we were trying our damnedest to actually get focus on people, you know, letting people see that, hey, women's wrestling is actually pretty fucking cool. And yes, women can wrestle. And a lot of the time, women can wrestle rings around most of the guys that you seem to idolize just because they're guys. Right, there's that. Uh, there's the Global Conflict Weekender, which was 2018, I think. That was the two-nighter that we did, which was just two shows, Friday, Saturday, back-to-back, -back, all women wrestling. 
you know, the first right. time ever that there had been an all women's wrestling show in Western Australia. Ever. Um, there, there's like there's other firsts for women wrestling, like Indie, Indie Girls, Indie Girls Australia. It's it, it's the brand that we've you know, we're trying to give people an alternative to just the bra and panties bullshit, basically. Um, there's other things that have kind of been tipped to the posts where you know, people could say, oh, we've had the first women's championship. Like, you have. But what have you done with it? Stuff like that. So there's all sorts of little bits and bobs, but that's, that's kind of the, the attitude that I've been getting away from over the years of just... Honestly, other people are going to try and claim they are the biggest, they are the best, they are X, they are Y. First time this happens, first time that happens. You know, if if people see that shit and they want to believe it, cool. If they want to actually look into the history of things and realize, hey, no, this has actually happened before, they're going to do that. So it's these people are really just saying shit for their own pleasure. Which hey, go for it. Um. But yeah, professional-wise, a lot of the indie girl stuff is definitely a high point. Um, there's like some of the shows that have honestly been a huge. Just business-wise, we've looked at this and gone, "This is huge for us." So there's something that's actually been uh, organised for the last few years. Is we are the first wrestling company in Australia and the second wrestling company in the world to actually partner with Culture City for um, sensory, basically a uh, brain word, not work, but um, like sensory bags, disability support. So you've got headphones for people who have um, noise sensitivities. You've got bags full of toys for people that needs to, that people that need to sting during the shows. You've got a quiet room if they get overwhelmed all, all, all those little things is trying to make the company and trying to make shows a lot more inclusive for everyone um like that that's one big thing that I'll, I'll never stop loving just purely because everyone should be doing it and almost no one seems to give a shit about it which really pisses me off but yeah there's then there's, there's other things that we've done like we were the first like we beat NXT to wrestling in HBF Arena because we wrestled at the Evolve Expo a couple of months before them. And funny things like that. We, you know, I've, you know, we we've had wrestling matches that have stretched over two days. You know, stretched over midnight. You know, the amplifier shows. You know, we've we've you know there there are boys out there that can actually turn around and go. I've wrestled in a match that's been over, that's over two days. How good am I? The fun things. We, we've, we held a show out front of a heritage listing, listed building in the centre of Kings Park. And this was the most insane thing ever because our locker room was the heritage building. So, huge <laughs> shit. It's... There's all these different things. Like, um, um, people will always try and go on about again. Like, we've got the biggest, we've got the best, we've got the brightest, we've got all these different things that are cool. Like, make no doubt, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, and people will probably go, what the fuck is breaking the cardinal rule? But fucking amazing work, EPW, for what you did at Reawakening this year. You know, stadium show, 800 plus, and huge. I mean, New Japan came down and they got less than a thousand fucking the young bucks Minoru Suzuki and all that so EPW did huge work 100% they deserve to be congratulated for that for everything that they've done but that doesn't take away from things that other people are doing and that's that's the thing that it takes people a long time to realise is that you know, you, you and me may be going down to the beach and we both decided that we're going to go down there and we're going to build a sandcastle. You know, we're, we're going to each build sandcastles because fuck yeah, down the beach, sandcastles, all wet. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And, you know, I've, 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 I've built a little one and it's, you know, it's, it's maybe knee high and it's just this mound with a couple of holes dug in it. And I look over at you and you've built the fucking wing cara pizza in sand somehow i don't quite know how no buckets no spades no nothing the crenellations the archways everything is picture fucking perfect down to a teeny tiny sand person standing a while away pretending to push it back into place but what you've achieved does not make what i've done any less worthwhile or any less important and so it's, it's, sometimes it's actually the little things per, personally that I value a lot more. Like I, I value, you know, the first time that I wrestled, the first time, the first time that I wrestled James Draker, gorgeous Gary, you know, James Draker, gorgeous Gary, Schmidt, gorgeous Gary, then back to James Draker again, whatever you want to call him, hell, El Senor Entertainment. It, the first time I ever wrestled him, despite knowing him for over a decade, was like 2019. Wow. Which, yeah, it, it was a bit of a holy fuck moment because I, one of my oldest friends in wrestling and I'd never wrestled him. Like, I've been over his house and helped his mum set up her ADSL back in the day. Because, <laughs> you know, I used, to work, uh, I used to work for an ISP and I used to do that shit. Like, but I'd never wrestled him. Just never had the chance, never had the opportunity, ever. And like that that in itself, you know, that was a milestone to me, almost bigger than facing Sammy Callahan. Because this was, and not to diminish facing Sammy motherfucking Callahan, because I want to do that shit again. It's like, that was fun. And I think we would have even more of a blast these days. But my match with Draco was, personally a huge crowning moment for me just like hey if i ever managed to drag you in the ring which i've, I've talked about a few times over the years yet <laughs> and, and i've said this to some of my other mates as well like some of the boys that have been training you know whether for various reasons injury wise or work or family like you're talking before things like fifo and you know shenanigans circumstances the fucking whether whatever the circumstances they are nowhere near as far along as they'd like to be and i've, I've told every single one of them that one of my goals is to be able to get them to the point where I can step in the ring with them and have a match with them. Even if it's a two minute one at a house show or a festival, or whatever, I don't care because one, 
I get to have a match with them, which I, I, I love getting beaten up by people. It's fun. And two, it means that they get to be in that ring. They get to have that experience. They get to finally step in. And I don't care if, if no one else would step in the ring with them, which is, I've, I've seen some people have that kind of attitude with some wrestlers. Like, oh, I'd never wrestle them. I don't trust them. Like, fuck are you? But no, no matter what, if they're putting in the hard work, they, they should get something out of it. And I, I want to, even if nothing else, I want to be the one to help them get that. So there, there's been a, a, a small list over the years of me being able to go, I've helped this guy get in the ring and have his first match. I've helped this guy. For, for the longest time, I was the guy that everyone had their first match with, no matter who you were. It was really only when my body started breaking down and my brain really started deciding to fuck itself with an ice pick that I wasn't capable of doing that anymore. But yeah, personally, personally, the biggest is the two final chapters. Actually, no, I'm going to say three because three final chapters for differing reasons. The very first final chapter, Mana's retirement, that was a huge milestone. Like emotional wise, just everything. The entranceway looked like shit. <laughs> the setup was not great. This, this, this is, you know, late 2000, like late 2010s, and it was, it was dog shit. We, our setup was not great, but none of that mattered because there was only one match on that show that was truly important, and that match happened. It was Tama versus Mana versus Samu. All three of them absolutely fucking lovely lads as well especially you know, sitting sitting down at the old school the slaughterhouse just chatting about wrestling with sam and he'll just occasionally look at someone and be like they're not listening oh, they're not paying attention <laughs> it's just like oh you're paying attention now glad to see you back with us it's just that that cheekiness of just Again, it's 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 not, it's not a side that you see often of some of these guys, but it's lovely just to be able to, just to be able to relax and just be human with them. And but yeah, the final chapter twenty ten, most definitely a huge crowning achievement. Also, it was our first final chapter. Final chapter twenty twelve, because that was no wait, sorry twenty eleven. I land on my head a lot. Um, Final chapter 2012 is where my shoulder shattered. So final chapter 2011. Actually, I will get into chapter 2012. Final chapter 2011, because I did something that no one, including myself, ever thought I would be able to do, which was have an actual proper hardcore match. And this was, okay, story time. And um, this, this is what happens when you ask me questions. It is segue after segue after segue, because that's just it's what my brain does. Story time, final chapter 2011. The whole reason this match Cable, seven-foot walking death sentence, the Widowmaker Mage, and the Australian Gothic Heritage, Apocalypse, triple threat, hardcore, mask versus mask versus hair match. The whole reason this match came about was because Mange was going to retire. He was going to shuffle off into the sunset. And so quite appropriately, it had to be, it had to be spectacular. It had to be specific. Now, I used to have hair, and I'm jealous of all of you motherfuckers. I'm in, I'm looking straight at you right now. I'm jealous of you motherfucker because you still really? have hair. I do more than this shit. 
You've got me. Okay. It's, it's been a while, bro. It's been a while. It's been a little while. Okay, so I'm jealous of all the rest of the people listening, all, all the thousands of heritorites at home that have hair. If they really love me, they'd shave it off as well. Um, so I used to have hair. I was it, it wasn't exactly amazing, but it was one of those things that, you know, I had to make sure I had long hair. I had to make sure I had a goatee because if I didn't, I just looked like a giant fucking thumb. And I've proven that in subsequent years. But one of the, one of the things was, okay, this, this was never getting shaved off. And uh, I'm going to drag my wife into the pit here because she, uh, it, it was kind of her rule that, you know, that was never getting shaven off. Fair enough. She liked her skinny little goth guy. He liked him. It, it, it's this teeny tiny bat of darkness. Bleh, bleh. She loved that boy. <laughs> and uh, we were all sitting back, having a few brews, and we were just chatting about shits and giggles. It was like, you know, trying, trying to work out how, how we could send Mange off into the sunset. And it was kind of one of, one of those, you know, the half cut chats where everyone's going to outdo each other just by that little because hey what about this what about this what about this brother yeah and it started out okay so yeah we should do a triple threat and uh you know it should be a hardcore match yeah and uh and, and she's there and she's she's joking she, she thinks we're joking so she's agreeing with everything and so that's her fault i love you we weren't joking. So she's, she's agreeing with everything. And um, we, we got to the point where we're like, oh, you know, we got, we ha- there has to be stakes behind this. Yes. You know, Mange wears a mask. Well, a uh, hood sock slash stocking. And you can see through, you know, it's a mask, essentially. Cable wears a mask, originally a slipknot mask and then a custom designed one. I can't remember where he got it from, but I could swear it's from that Rockwell Masks, the one that did like the G-Raver and all those other ones, the really high quality detailed leather ones. Amazing quality. I've seen it. A couple of years ago that's still in excellent condition um so mask mask you know you normally have a mask but i don't have a mask what what's what could i possibly sacrifice what could what could be a threat there and uh i think it was mange or i can't remember whether it was cable said mask versus mask versus hair match lovely wifely go on then so we looked over to Mana. We're like, we got approval. <laughs> she did not like that, <laughs> especially when she found out what was going to be happening in the match. So, this that that was the setup. Now, show day, final chapter, twenty eleven, Medina Hall. I made sure that she knew everything that was going to be happening to me. Or rather, I made sure that she knew everything that I knew that was going to be happening to me. Yeah. Sarah Del Rey, you know, <laughs> Kings of Wrestling, NXT trainer, is also there. She's got her match. I think she had a tag match with uh, Percy. I can't remember who Del Rey tagged with. I know it was against Percy T and Casey Cassidy, but I can't remember who she tagged with. Um, someone. But uh, so she, you know, she's not really an advocate of hardcore as far as things go, mm-hmm. but that's fine. And reluctantly, because people would have it no other way, 
we were main eventing, which I'm not fond of. I, I don't believe I deserve to be in the main event, especially when we've got so so many other talented people there. But it, there, there was no arguing with the powers that be. We were in the main event. Fair enough. And well. So Manger's mum, she was a bit poorly. Her health wasn't exactly the best. And she was in the audience, but she always came to support her son. She, 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 she wasn't really a fan of the wrestling herself, but she came to support her boy. Admirable. Despite how poor her health was. So we're, we're, we're doing, you know, the match kicks off and we're doing all these crazy things. And um, Mange decides that if this is a mask, you know, in, in character, right? This, this is the Widowmaker Mange. He carries around a noose. He is not the most mentally stable of individuals. So he decides mask versus mask versus hair. His mask is just like a tube sock. So someone could just grab him and just yank it off. Boom, he's, he's lost. The only way to fix that is to get a staple gun and staple the mask to his jawbone, <laughs> which he does. <laughs> Not kayfabe staples either. This was just the staple gun. I know this because uh, subsequently I got stapled with staple gun as well, which I did not know was going to happen at the time. And uh, when it happened, my first response was, fuck, punch straight to the balls. <laughs> so, you know, see, it's fair, fair. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't know that I was going to get stapled. So my wife didn't know I was going to get stapled. To say she was displeased about this turn of events was an understatement. So she, she did know that I was going to get my head shaved and she'd made her peace with it reluctantly because she couldn't convince us otherwise. Um, Mange ended up having the staples tore, ripped out of his jawbone with a pair of pliers before having the mask the hood sock ripped off his head and so we all stagger backstage post-match we're uh, cleaning ourselves off recovering now there's there's plenty of movies which have like a a, a shock moment a horror moment an oh shit moment uh, I'm, I'm going to say for example uh, Constantine the Keanu Reeves one, the movie, not the TV show. I loved the TV show because that was a very much more accurate portrayal. But nonetheless, great movie. Um, Peter Stormare as Lucifer. He opens the doors and it's, fuck. This, this is beyond apocalyptic. This is, the gates of hell have opened and the gates of heaven have slammed shut because even God trembles in fear of what has just been unleashed. And there's my wife, my lovely, darling, beautiful wife. <laughs> and you could feel visible heat and waves of anger emanating off her. And it, it was like high noon at the OK Corral. It just, <laughs> the crowd parted and oh, just shit. left. And she, she apologised to everyone beforehand and they all got the fuck out of Dodge. Like, including Chris, you know, guys like Chris Vice, who, you know, 
he's not built like a sack of walnuts. He's like a sack of walnuts had a nut sack and that nut sack was stuffed into another sack of walnuts for 15 generations, thereby birthing the ultimate sack of pure walnut. You know, this is, you know, Bob Sapp, except white and talented. You know, he got the fuck out of Dodge as well. And she tore so many shreds off of all three of us. Just, I, I, I can't remember whether I was the first target or not, but all I can remember was her finally turning to Mange and just going, and your poor mother. And then it was done. Like he, he slept out there like a kid who had just been told there was no Christmas. And he walked out there and he went to his mum and he apologised like no one has ever apologised before. And so, I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why that show really sticks in my mind and it's an amazing accomplishment because my wife displayed to everyone that uh, she could go full uh, violent psychopathic murder and there is not a damned human on this earth that could ever stop her. And that's why I love her so very much. <laughs> And but also because yeah, I I proved to myself, so to speak, that I could actually do hardcore if I needed to, and I could actually hang with people who were def quite definitely above me. You know, Mange by the end of it wasn't the best wrestler in the world. Cable was definitely up there. And there's been a fair few times since where I've had matches with other highly skilled wrestlers, and I've gone. You know, in, in that five seconds after a match before your brain then self-sabotages and goes, oh, by the way, you fuck this, you fuck this, you fuck this, this was shit, yeah. this was shit. You know, all, all that bad crap. That very brief moment, my brain actually goes, that actually was a good match. And that was the first proper time that I knew that I was able to do that. You know, not being carried through a match. Because while my match with Sammy Callahan was pretty good you know, for, for what it was and there was uh, some mitigating circumstances around it um it was very much him making me look like a fucking superstar because it's, it's what he did and that's that's also again that's the attitude i've tried to carry through to everyone else and 2012 was the night where i made a comedian john robertson you know, the creator of The Dark Room, who has actually gone on to quite subsequent fame as well. He's living in the UK and he's doing very bloody well for himself. And that was the night where I made him a star. And then I violently murdered him as well. And to be fair, though, the, the real crowning moment of that is actually his comedy club. Um, I think it's the Melbourne Hotel in uh, North Perth, where the old hi-fi championship. I don't, I don't know if you remember the old hi-fi championship before it became the hybrid one. The hi-fi championship was big, heavy. Like I'm talking heavy duty industrial boxing belt. This thing was heavy as fuck. Sheep, like an, you know, wool on the inside. And uh, uh, we, we decided that we were going to do a spot to drum up some interest at his comedy show. So I went to the Melbourne Hotel and a wrestler that he was being mentored by at the time, Mattel Parche, uh, he clocked me open with the hi-fi belt. That belt is fucking hardcore. 
I my head burst like like melon, and I'm sitting in the front crowd, concussed to fuck. Just it was it was that bad that it was just doing the full on Ric Flair actually squirting at high pressure out my head, spraying right. a couple of the empty chairs. And this lady right next to me turns to me and said, "Is that fake blood?" And I'm <laughs> like, "Yeah, sure." I I I. My eyes weren't even focusing at the time. It was it was that bad. That that was that was a bit of a highlight. But um, yeah, there's been like I I want to say there's there's a few shows, yeah, personally, which have really been a high point for me. And the other big one, like one I will say flat out is despite the subsequent uh, issues with a couple of the wrestlers, um. Final chapter 2013 and Perth City Riot 2013. Because both shows, uh, Aaron O'Malley, who was one of the guys, one of the last guys that I had a proper hand in training, and because he took over at one at some point and is infinitely better trainer than I would ever be. Like an impure mind for the business. Best boy deserves everything in the world has been fucked over brutally by COVID and just issues and shit, but deserves everything in the world. Um, he got to face his first international, which uh, I think was the, I think his first, first international was supremely great. Um, then his next few internationals was the fuck with David Starr and the other fuck with Michael Elgin. So not so great. But Aaron hung in there. Like, kind of what we were saying before, where maybe great wrestlers, but absolute fucked human beings. Yeah. But O'Malley hung in there. In fact, he thrived with all these guys. And that was, that was personally, that was huge for me. Not for anything for myself, but for O'Malley. Because he he had, he is, if you had twenty O'Malley's, you could conquer the world, pure and simple. You would, no one, no wrestling company would be able to stop you if you had a roster full of Aaron O'Malley. Which now that I say that, that sounds really bad, but I don't care. Um, like hard work, complete body transformation, complete mind transformation, everything transformation. I, I cannot speak enough about how good he is and how much hard work he's done. So him being able to get that opportunity and then not only having that opportunity, but utilizing it, thriving it and rising up from it. Love it. And the other show is for, for, Again, a multitude of reasons. The final chapter just gone in New Zealand. Um, Professional-wise, because it's a culmination of a goal over 20 years in the making for Mana and the company, which was to bring wrestling to his hometown. Right. Um, it was also a damn good show, to be honest. That was a really good night. Um, Personal-wise, international wrestling debut, which, again... I never thought that would happen for me. I, that's that's not something that could ever have been on my mind. Like, this skinny, wimpy little kid who flinches at loud noises, has never done sport, hates pain, is just 
complete and utter coward, has now wrestled internationally. Uh, it, it would literally blow my mind if I'd if I could go back in time and tell my past self that. And then, yeah, personally as well, being a part of that culmination of Marner's goal for that many years, knowing everything he's been through, knowing everything he's suffered, all the hard work he's done, everything that he's put, like everything him and his, um, his, you know, his partner in crime, Corinne, who, you know, co-owner of a company, co-runner, co-everything for both of them to finally realise this dream and for myself and my wife to have been a part of that. Like, I, I would take that over fucking being invited to help produce WrestleMania or fucking All Out or any of that shit any day because this is just so intensely personal to me. And, yeah, those, those would definitely be the, the highlights of, yeah, the highlights of my career, so to speak, the highlights of personally and professionally for NHPW and then Heritor himself. Brilliant. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I did I did see in my research that uh, you went over to New Zealand. So, I mean, to me, that sounds like a pretty awesome thing, especially for your father figure. Mm. Uh, just throwing that one out there again. Uh, Fun fact was, I actually didn't know at the time, but I had a sinus infection and tonsillitis. So I, w- I wondered why I was feeling a bit poorly throughout the whole show. But uh, yes, it turns out, uh, <laughs> yes. I was Very nice, bro. Well. A um, couple more questions here to go, Heritor. Fantastic stuff. NHPW, what do you hope for the company to accomplish in the future? Is there anything on the bucket list for the company? Well, company-wise, I mean, company-wise, the vision is always going to be the same as it has been, which is put on wrestling shows for everyone. You know, whether you, you know, whether you live in the cool suburbs, you know, the northern suburbs, the high-rise affluence, the, the the rich kids, uh, that kind of stuff, or whether you're, you know, someone like me who lives in Stabsville, Kentucky, or you know, you're a country boy, or whatever. I, I you know, we we could care less where you are. All we want to do is bring wrestling to people and bring. Sometimes it's not even about the wrestling, and this this is it's it's that's it's another thing that's people look at me funny when I say that it's definitely not about the wrestling. It's about the like it's the experience, yes, but it's when you look out in the crowd and you see a kid, and this kid, you know, he. In fact, for me, I see myself in a lot of these kids because I see kids that, you know, they they do not have the best clothing. They don't really have good fitting clothing. Some of them don't have shoes or whatever. Or you see, uh, you know, we, we've got a group that comes to a lot of our shows called True Colors, and they're a disability support group. And they know that all they need to do is contact us and we will make sure they've got seating organized. They have wheelchair space organized. You know, we accept companion cars, all those, you know, culture seats. We, we try and provide an experience for people who I don't want to say shunned by society, but it's more of that people who might otherwise not get experiences. 
you know, the poor kids who might be having a hard time at home, but they, they can get to come to our show and for a few hours, they can just enjoy themselves. They can, you know, they can cheer the faces. They can boo the heels. And they, can, they can boo the faces and cheer the heels. We don't, we, all we care is that they are having fun and that's first and foremost in their mind, that they are enjoying themselves, that they are having fun, that they get to forget whatever else is going on. You know, it's, it's why we do things like the carnivals and festivals and that. Those, those things are, I mean, personally, for me, they're a shit ton of fun. But it's also because, yeah, they, 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 like, we, we've had people, like, we've had parents come up to us at some of the carnivals that we run. And, they, you know, this will be three, four years in a row. And they'll be there every show, every day. And they've said to us, we, we come to these carnivals now because the kids, yeah, they'll get to go on rides. They'll get to have some show bags, little bits and bobs like that. But we can bring them here. And they basically have like a full day, a full two days, a full three days of actual entertainment, of getting outside, getting into the sun, getting to be around people and just experiencing something that they could never get, that they could never see. And that's, that's really, and there's another cat. This is my big sook. He is Fergus. He is my baby boy. And he is just the biggest, sookiest fat boy in the world. Come here. Good boy. Stop blocking the camera. He hates cuddles, but he loves cuddles. But, um, <laughs> yeah, essentially, that's that's the biggest thing for NHPW, to provide experiences. And then also to provide experiences for the wrestlers as well. You know, like, like we were talking about, you know, the amplifiers wrestling over two nights or going out to do the country shows like Merritt and... Mm. and things like that, going down to Cable, doing shows down there, just doing festivals, doing weird things, doing things that, places that would never see wrestling otherwise, that would never be considered for entertainment, for fun, for, for anything. Just, you know, being able to turn around and say, you know, I've, I've wrestled in the country town. I've wrestled in the middle of Perth. I've wrestled in Kings Park. I've, I mean, hell, we did Oktoberfest this year and that was insane. That was, like, we, we've got a photo of a standoff between all the wrestlers there and then a group of lads came dressed up as uh, the Humble Joes from Dodgeball because there was a Dodgeball tent set up there. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a face-off. Average Joes. My, my wife is my brain. Um, <laughs> so we have a photo of the face-off between the wrestlers and the Average Joes Unfortunately, we missed out our chance to actually go verse them in dodgeball, which I've already told them next year, you motherfuckers. Fun experiences, weird experiences, just so the wrestlers, the fans, just everyone gets to have, it sounds cliche, but everyone gets to have a good time. Um, I'm like, that's personally what I'm about and professionally, that's what NHBW is about, providing just providing wrestling to the masses. We're, we're, we're never going to be a Globo gym. Like we're never going to be a WWE. We're never going to try and take over or do any stupid shit. We just want to have fun, wrestle, and get wrestling to people who otherwise wouldn't get to see it. That, that's, that's never really changed. I'm down with that, bro. I think it's great. I think it's great that you go to these small towns that probably don't usually get a lot of entertainment and uh, also great for people with different sensory issues, you know, 
um, who otherwise wouldn't be able to go to something um, if it's, you know, conflicts with what their their particular problem is. But um, uh, awesome to hear, bro. And uh, I wanted to give you uh, the, the floor here right now to, to let anyone out there know where to find NHPW, where to find Heritor uh, on social media and, and, and all the platforms. Okay, so yeah, he does that. Um, so social media, essentially you want to look for NHPW New Horizons Pro Wrestling, uh, the core place to go just purely because I am, I'm, I'm a social media guy and I have horrendously poor design choices a lot of the time. So our handle is different on almost every single platform because I obviously hate people and I hate life. Um, <laughs> so generally the best place to go is www.nhpw, that's November Hotel Papa Whiskey, .com .au. Or alternatively, the more easy to remember, www.perthwrestling.com.au. That will take you to the to our homepage, which has links to Facebook, to Instagram, to Twitter, which Instagram and Facebook are a lot more maintained because, again, I am absolutely horrible at keeping things up to date. So I'll get that working again properly one day. Um, alternatively, if you're looking for Heritor, First off, a warning, you will expect to see 50 million cat pictures and memes and of lately a lot of, war, uh, a lot of Warhammer 40k and World of Warcraft memes because, again, I'm a massive nerd, um, but mostly cat pictures and sarcasm and just hatred of humanity. Uh, you can type in Heritor and you will find me everywhere. I am a social media whore <laughs> and I will accept damn near anyone as a friend request. If you search for Heritor... <laughs> Or Australian Gothic Heritor or Brian Heritor, because let's face it, everyone knows Heritor is Brian these days. You search for me, you will find me, and you will see 50 million cat pictures, and probably half of them are of their buttholes as well. <laughs> if you can handle that, find me, add me. Let's talk some shit. Or, or not, because I am also a recluse hermit. Um, but yeah, essentially, the core is just perthwrestling.com.au. If you go there, that will feed you to everywhere else. Facebook, it is NHPW Perth. Instagram is Perth Pro Wrestling. Again, because I like to be difficult. <laughs> Twitter is NHPW Perth. Um, I wish I could do it Perth Pro Wrestling everywhere, but Twitter has username limits because... Come on, Musk, hey, you've fucked everything else up. Why can't you fuck that up as well? So that system works. I, I want it to. Um, yeah, it's a, alternatively, NHPW Heritor. If you type that in, I'll pop up somewhere. But realistically, if you Google Heritor, if you Google Brian Heritor, I'm there. And I'm distressingly, distressingly online, especially with cat photos and memes. Very good, bro. And, you know, I'll make it easier for you. When this goes out on YouTube, all of that info will be down in the description. And oh, uh, I'll make I'll make it easier for you, but I want to give you the floor there, bro. Um, yeah. So, uh, bro, we're getting to our final segment here of the show. Uh, it's, it's learning about your favorite things. I'm not sure if you've seen the podcast before, bro, but um, this is quick fire question for a quick fire answer. See how quickly you can get the answer out of your system. I know you like to go on a bit of a rant though, so I understand. But first one here, 
Territor, who is your favorite professional wrestler of all time? Favorite professional wrestler? I absolutely love, loathe, and hate this question in equal parts. I'm just going to have to say, this is an absolute pain in the ass question. Sorry, I'm going to have to say Edge because he was the first. Very good. No, that's that's a that's a great answer. Um, uh, if you could pick uh, over the years your favorite opponent that you ever worked with, who's somebody that you clicked with the most? Slate, pure and simple. Slate, go out there, beat the ever loving shit out of each other, and hopefully I get beaten out a little bit less than he does, and I win. That doesn't happen. (laughs) He's a big sport. You know what I like about wrestling Slate back in the day? I think me and him only wrestled one time, um, but he. He accidentally kneed me in the nose. And I used to have this annoying bump on my nose, like that stuck out so much. And I swear to God, he flattened it. He flattened <laughs> the bump out. And I always thanked him for that because it, it was something that I was very self-conscious about. And his accidental knee to my nose uh, ended up making me a very happy man. So thanks, Slate. Um, very quickly uh, after these questions, I have a very <laughs> quick story time about Slate, but I'll get to the questions first. No problem, bro. Uh, do you have a particular favorite match that you performed in in your life? Absolute most favorite match. If I had to choose one of my matches to show people, it would be, funnily enough, the most recent match I had against Slate at the Perth Craft Beer Festival. That is the best match him and I have ever had. Excellent, bro. Now we're getting away from wrestling. Do you have a favorite book? Favorite book? Oof. Okay, this is going to be a interesting one because most people have never heard of this one an easy cop out would be able to say warhammer 40k horus heresy but specific favorite book is called villains by necessity by a person called eve forward the very quick synopsis is essentially the world has conquered all the evils all the villains and the world is slipping so far into light that it runs the risk of everything going into endless stasis so a group of villains have to band together in the opposite of the standard story story time formula to actually drag the world back into villainy and release the evil. Where technically right. they're the heroes though, but they stay villains and true to their villainous characters. Very cool. I, I like the sounds of that. Uh, do you have a favorite TV show? Oh, favorite TV show. I'm going to have to go with Supernatural. I can't not say that. It's definitely the longest running one that's occupied my brain. So, yeah, I've got to say favourite TV show. If we said favourite miniseries, then I'm going to turn around and say, uh, what's the Good Omens? Is Very the... nice. Good yes. selections there. Do you have a favourite film? Oh, favourite film? I'm going to list three because I like being difficult. The first okay. one is one of my all-time perennial favorites which i haven't seen for decade it is called the magical legend of fairies and leprechauns also known as one of the very last films that randy quaid was in where he wasn't bug fucking sane um the second favorite film is hogfather again terry pratchett absolutely love it um the most favorite favorite film fuck (laughs) Okay, I'm going to go with two because <laughs> I have a favourite film and I actually can't remember what it is now. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. Again, my wife, I love her so much. She is my brain. Repo the Genetic Opera because I'm a huge fan of musicals. Very nice, bro. Uh, do you have a favourite musical artist or band? 
Okay, easily favorite, favorite, favorite musical artist is Widow Yankovic. Very close second is Till Lindemann, because that way it encompasses both encompasses both Ramstein and his solo project Lindemann. Very nice. Getting away from the arts now, do you have a favorite food? Oh, do energy drinks count? <laughs> um, okay, favorite food to be. Honestly, yeah, the, the wife just answered for me because I was going to say it, but I knew she was going to look at me and say, shut the fuck up, is anything she cooks. Lovely. That's like, a li very literally, and very quick reason behind that, I was 50 kilos when we first started dating. Um, yeah, I became 100 kilos. Right, she's, she's plumped you up. Good food. Oh, yeah, she, good. She, she likes me chonky. <laughs> uh, do you have a favourite place to eat, you know, on the road, like a favourite restaurant, favourite place you know, to, to visit. Absolute favourite place to eat would be ramen. Um, but it has to be an actual good ramen, not one of the El Generico shitty. We've got, you know, generic packet of noodles dumped in a bowl, put some broth and soy sauce and extra little bits involved. It's got to be actual good quality, proper ramen. Very nice. Uh, third la last one here. Do you have a favourite alcoholic beverage? Favourite alcoholic beverage? My absolute top one of all time was Woodstock Honey. They do not make it anymore, but sweet zombie Jesus, that thing went down faster than a fat kid on a slide. And closest that I can get these days is Jim Beam and Honey. But alternatively, during summer, summer's be apple cider. Very nice. Second last one here. Favorite female body part. You can have a very, a very uh, meaningful answer to this, or it could be very... Uh you know, what most would be expecting. What, what would you say that would be? Favourite female body part? Well, I'm going to completely skip the sappy cliche and I'm going to say my wife's butt because <laughs> do she got the booty? She do. <laughs> Excellent, bro. Uh, last one here. Favourite curse word? Fuck. Excellent stuff, bro. That's the number one answer for that question. On this podcast, Heritor, you did have a story you wanted to tell about Slate before we sail off into the sunset. Yes. So very first time, sorry, second time that Slate and I ever faced off after the whole Rookie 123 incident was my first outing as the Australian Gothic Heritor. And at the time, I felt that my face was very plain. Therefore, it needed some kind of embellishment, some kind of sprucing up. My thought was that a Phantom of the Opera mask would work. Not a mask, though, actual paint. And what I got was grease paint. So I got a half grease paint, white on my face, bordered by black grease paint. And this was not good quality either. This was very, very fucking dodgy grease paint. The match, quite predictably, ended up with a dust boot straight to my face. <laughs> and as he came down, because again, he's a strong boy and I was 50 kilos soaking wet. So he hit me and my momentum took me down fast. As he came down, his crotch straight on my face. Now, that's not the funny part of the story because he used to wear the super L generic indie wrestler 2000 pleather pants. So the, you know, just past the knee three quarter pants, bright red. When he got up from after pinning me, <laughs> there was a perfect impression of my half mask right on his crotch. <laughs> and that is still 
one of my favorite memories of the initial matches that him and I had together. Just him backstage with just my face on his crotch. Loved it. And that also told me, yeah, grease paint is a bad idea. <laughs> Excellent, bro. Th thank you for sharing that one. Uh, Heritor, thank you so much for your time uh, here on the Insider's Edge podcast. I've really appreciated it. It's been so fun learning about your time in pro wrestling, learning a little bit about NHPW's history. And I know that there's so much more uh, that we can talk about. So I'm sure we can uh, reconvene and have you back on the show down the line. But thank you again. Thank you very much, my friend, for having you. It's been far too long between chats, catch-ups, and just shooting the shit and general shenanigans altogether. And it is good to see that you are you are looking well and you don't have any hair, so I don't hate you quite so much anymore. <laughs> Excellent, bro. Well, thank you again and thank all of you out there for joining us here for the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm California. This is me old friend, Herator, and we will see you down the road. Thank you. And make sure people stay in drugs, don't do kids. <laughs>